This is WMPG 90.9 Southern Maine Community Radio from USM. In the Pocket, a talk show that showcases Mainers who are people of color. Each episode represents a member of the Maine community from art, culture, and business, the earth, wind, and fire of life. Embracing and exploring the Black diaspora and descendants of American slavery through conversation is the foundational concept of In the Pocket. The overall mission of In the Pocket is to create conversational space for all people of color that is documented and celebrated through sharing of life experiences. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear it again, or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In the Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. Thank you listeners for tuning in to In The Pocket. I'm your host, Flo Edwards, and today our special guest is Margaret Brownlee. Um, You probably know her from Mecca or running for South Portland's City Council. Um, But today we're probably going to focus on her dissertation. Margaret, please introduce yourself. I'm Margaret Brownlee. I use she, her pronouns. Hi. Is that good? That's great. (laughs) I don't know. Like, what do you want to say? Whatever you want to say. So, so tell me, like, more direct. So, tell me about your dissertation. How long? I mean, you're still doing it, right? So, I finished writing it. Oh, great. Yep. The page count, I guess, matters for some people. It's 145 pages. It's a lot. It's a book. Uh, yeah, I guess. A small book. Short book. So what is your dissertation about? So my dissertation is about exploring the lives of queer women of color at predominantly white institutions and their sense of belonging. So... Let's see. So um, when I was first deciding what to study, I chose a topic. And the topic that I wanted to research was sense of belonging because many times I feel like I don't belong in certain spaces and I wanted to dig deeper into that. Then I decided who do I want to research? And I used myself as the research participant originally. So anyone that identified as queer. So I know the term queer throws people off sometimes. So I, according to like dissertations, you have to have descriptions of words in your dissertation. So queer is anyone who fits on the LGBTQIA plus two-spirit spectrum. Um, two-spirit spectrum? Yeah. Oh my goodness. You I'm want me to talk about that? I don't even know what that is. You want is. me to talk about two-spirit? Yeah. Okay. So, hold please. Yeah, I think of that as like Native American, I think is what yeah. I've heard of two-spirit. Okay. Okay, so some Native American cultures, um, actually specifically here in Maine, um, use the term two-spirit to identify someone that has both feminine and masculine energy. In American culture, we use the term non-binary or gender fluid. There's lots of words in American dialect. Um, And then in Afro-Latina cultures or Latina cultures, it's called 
um, specifically in Puerto Rico. Um, it's yeah, Taino. It's Taino. So they, it's a similar word in, in Spanish, but a very similar meaning. All three of those cultures use non-binary, two-spirit, um, Taino. Uh, I could be wrong in that. So anyways, so I, I wanted to study um, queer culture, right? Then I decided that I wanted to study specifically women because I absolutely love women and wish I could live on a planet full of women, you know. So then I also decided women of color. And because that, um, because folks have been using the term BIPOC, I originally started with black indigenous people of color. But then I heard that a lot of Asian cultures or Asian Americans don't use BIPOC. So I wanted to include Asian Americans. Like I wanted to include Asians <laughs> because they matter. And then, um, what, what term do they use then? It depends on the person. Okay. Like I have a lot of friends that are Vietnamese. They call themselves Vietnamese. They don't call themselves Asian. They're like, I'm Vietnamese. Um, so, or Vietnamese American, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so I expanded that and then I started to explain slowly then I started to explore all kinds of different uh, race and ethnicities for women. So, but then because of the confines of a research study, like you have to finish sometime. So I was like, I, I need to like narrow this down. So once I got approval from my university um, institutional research board, I started my research. So I started that in July of 2022 finished in I'm going to say September of 2022 and then I closed my interviewing down so I interviewed eight queer women of color um, both national like if the United States and also internationally which I didn't expect um, and then after I closed that down and took all the interviews from the um, the transcript interviews, I had to analyze that. How, do, how deep should I go? Keep on going? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then I had to analyze that um, using an online data analysis tool to help create graphs and charts and um, basically fancy infographics for people that need it. Because um, a dissertation should also have like not just writing, but graphs, charts, data, visual data. So what was some of that visual data was it just like population percentages okay so um i basically sliced my interview data into about i have to guess let's just say 30 themes from the data i found about 30 different themes from these eight participants but then i needed to analyze how the themes fit together into like what do you call it clusters so and I learned this through my, my like graduate school classes on how to do data analysis. I wouldn't have done this on my own. Like I didn't actually know how to do it. They That's had to teach me. Of school, right? <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know how to do this. Um, so they helped me do that. Um, and then uh, my faculty advisors were really. Um, yeah, let's go left. They were really. Um, we'll get back to that. So I had to analyze the data into like, let's just say, 
I think in the end, I ended up doing four charts. So I did show the race and ethnicity population of my participants, which were mostly Afro-Latina, which was surprising to me um, that that population connected with me more versus a different group. Um, and then I also did it by undergraduate, graduate, because I had a few graduate students and their experiences were very different for undergrads. I had a few students that lived on campus versus off campus. So um, students that live on campus, um, predominantly white institutions, are typically undergraduate, which is between the ages of 18 and 22. Their experience of sense of belonging because of their social identity development and like where they are because of their age is very different than like a 40 year old who's in graduate school. And can we walk over here so I don't fall? Um, like who already are in a stable relationship or house or um, they have like roots a little bit more than say 25 year olds. So they felt a higher sense of belonging. So I did that. And then I did, I think I tried to look at their majors, but there was no correlation between their majors. Yeah, that's all I can remember. Based on my memory. <laughs> So the graduate students actually had more sense of belonging than the undergrad. Yes. Huh. I would have thought it would have been the other way around. Well, okay, I'll tell you why. So, which is funny, right? Yeah. It is. It's weird. It's a phenomenon. So this is not in my dissertation because, like, I wouldn't have these questions, right? And you think of something and then I respond because, like, I never thought of that. And I don't even know if I even wrote it in there, so I probably should go back and look but I don't, want to, I don't want to write anymore. So anyways, um, the undergraduate students living on campus and the small population that I researched did not feel a sense of belonging because the activities that the predominantly white institutions were creating were not for them. They were not at the center of attention. It was usually for the straight, straight white male, like, Let's do Halloween. It's so much fun. And let's play like a typical 1990s movie, which has all white people, all heterosexual, all cast. And so they didn't want to go to those events. So they stayed in their dorms and they hid and they isolated, which is the opposite of sense of belonging. So it's safe to assume that at those undergrad institutions from your select you know, people, or people who volunteered, yes. they didn't have any black student unions? Correct. Actually, let me think about this. So, one person, um, oh my God, you're such a good citizen. Um, they, I don't know if they said that or not, but what I found in my research with the intersectionality between race and sexuality is many queer typically like gay student unions or what do they call it gay straight alliance gsas or something along those lines yes are very focused on queer people but not fit focused on people of color and then so the black student union might like be like yeah we're black and proud and a lot of african black culture is very homophobic so it's like that queer person that queer woman has to be like, which space do I belong in? Because I don't feel safe in both places. 
Um, so even if this, the college has a black student union, is it pro-LGBTQ? Is it pro-queer? I don't know. But like colleges and universities need to start thinking about that. Like we're not just one identity, right? Intersectional. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you talk about that because I still come across that in my daily life. Like, you know, I participate in a lot of black oriented things, but I don't necessarily feel like it's reaching out to queer people, but I'm just going to show up anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I wanted to go out last night and I knew that it was a predominantly white space, probably queer, but it was predominantly white people. And so I didn't want to walk into a space and then all of a sudden be the center of attention in a bad way, because there's different types of attention. Um, and then I felt like I didn't belong. So it's like, I almost in a way it's like, this is kind of off topic, I think, but when people plan events, they should be, they should put a pride flag on their poster or they should put a Black Lives Matter symbol on their poster just so that people are like, okay, I know that they believe in that. Like, this is my space. Um, but that's a perfect world, I think. Right. Right. It's like a utopia. Yeah. And I appreciate some of that performative activism when it's saying that. It's like a value. A value. Yeah, your value. Yeah. Okay. What were you going to say? So what is your doctorate in? Uh, so the title will be, um, I think, it's from the University of, uh, University of New England, holy shit, uh, UNE. Educational leadership is the major. And then the degree is doctor of education, I think. Okay. But I'm still waiting for that paper, you know? Right, right. So I actually reached out to a friend to help me edit today because the editing process is uh, long, tedious, um, but required. So I, I need some help with that. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, almost 200 pages or around yeah. 150 or something. So that seems like a lot to sort through. And do you think during the editing process, you'll find out like, oh, maybe I need to actually add something or is it all about taking away? No, I bet there'll be parts that I have to add because often with a lot of my um, writing, I start with just a stream of consciousness. So I will just literally open my laptop and be like, what do I want to say? And I just start writing like I well, typing, you know, we don't write anymore. Not most of us. And um, so one day I could have written two sentences and another day I could have written two pages. So, and then some, because I have to keep on coming back to it, like sometimes I'll write it 10 p.m., other days I'll write it five in the morning. My brain has not really picked up where it left off, right? Like it's only in that exact moment. So I'm sure, I'm like 100% positive that I have like run on sentences and like incomplete thoughts. So, but I do need people to like, like, Two people in particular have reached out. One I know is serious, who's going to look at it for me. Uh, he's a doctor, um, and so he has gone through this process and can be like, no, this belongs in your implication section, or no, that belongs in your conceptual framework, or all this. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. 
Awesome. Well, that's really great that you have the resources of other people who've gotten their doctorate so that you can tap into the editing process. Yeah. How long do you think, like when do you envision yourself submitting this? Hmm. Well, it's hard to answer that question because now that I stopped writing and I went into the edit process, I want to go back into my graduation timeline. So my advisors and I have both a kind of a informal document that has the timeline of when I will be presenting it for defense and then when it has to be submitted for publication. Um, and so I need to look at that because some, sometimes when I submit something, um, my advisors will send it back. So I guess that's, that's why it's so hard to answer. Right. Um, I don't want to submit it this weekend because I know that there are sections that need editing and I don't like submitting a document that clearly is highlighted by myself or the advisor. And she says, or he says, actually, you, you need to finish the section. And then they'll literally just send it back and be like, you didn't do it. Like, redo this. So I could submit it today, but they'll just send it back. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Um, I think the edit process, realistically, today's the 26th or the 7th. Um, two weeks would be great. Like, two weeks would be amazing. Oh, that okay. would be my goal. Um, um, you know, but that's if I can, if the person that I've asked to help is available to help, you know, I could give them a one week timeline and then I could finish it the second week or vice versa. Um, but you know, the dissertation, a lot, I think a lot of folks, or at least when I first started, thought it was a solo journey like I this is something I'm taking on my own like it's really scary how am I going to do this and then I slowly started to realize that this is not a solo journey like I actually need a lot of people to help me with this um or it's not going to get finished so a lot of I have to write an acknowledgement section where you thank folks it's just part of the dissertation process you have like a page or two to acknowledge folks and I've thanked a few people, but now that I think about it, if I actually went back and thought about all the people that helped me, that list would be very long. But yeah, two weeks would be nice to the next version of it. Okay, so this question I asked, thank you for like first explaining the process of, you'll have to also defend yes. the dissertation. Mm -hmm. And then after the defense, Will there be more editing and then publication or it will be public so, or published? So every college and university has a different process for how dissertations are completed. Um, I'll be very professional. And that's all I'll say about that. Um, <laughs> and so um, the process that UNE uses is and this is based on my memory, but I do have a document that shows it. 
uh, they, they have a five chapter outline that they give us. And then in, they also have a doctor of education, like student handbook that you have to follow. And so there's policies in there that has a, like the step-by-step process. But based on my memory, I'm pretty sure that um, once all my edits are finished and complete and my advisors say, you are ready for defense, um, I will present it to a committee. I think this committee consists of my two advisors, um, a select few um, friends that I can invite to my defense, and then I think the department chair. Once the defense at the end, they say, thank you, Margaret, for presenting. Um, We're going to go into like a closed session or whatever. And then they will say, Margaret, you are ready to move to the publication stage. They could come back at that closed session and say, Margaret, you are not ready for publication. So I always have to have that 50-50 like percentage in my brain. This is a 50-50 chance. Um, So if I pass it and they're like, you're ready for publication, they, there's a couple of things that they have to do. For example, there's a document in my dissertation that requires a signature from both of my advisors saying, Margaret is officially a doctor. We are publishing this with her because their names are on my dissertation. Um, and then there's a stamp, literally. I think it's like a, um, what do you call it? One of those seals for like official documents. I don't know what it's called. Like the notary but it's like the seal little, thing. Oh, the notary. Okay. I was um, like wax and then they the have thing. a little stamp. That's probably old school. Yeah, that's really like the yeah. 1800s. <laughs> um, so then they they do the notary thingamajig. And it's printed. And they have, a, I think, some colleges do this, but I don't know if UNE does. Some of them print it so that they have it in their archives. Um, but some just use a digital database. I think some do both. I know that there's a digital database because I've seen a lot of the dissertations. So it definitely goes in there. It's called Dune Digital University of New England. Um, And then I really don't know what's next. So that brings me some anxiety (laughs) because I'm a little nervous about the next step. Well, it sounds like if it's published and all those things have been documented and notarized, then you should be done. But I, I, my doctorate is uh, had nothing to do with writing anything. Thank God. I don't know how how that happens for people but so impressed so hopefully that's all that is i mean it's a lot but hopefully you're almost done is what it sounds like so yeah i'll be done with that like Mm -hmm. that will be done but like the way i work is like i'm never done so it's like what am i doing next is my thing right and a lot of people are i don't think anybody's really asked me like and I don't even know, it just brings me a lot of anxiety because I feel like now that I have this degree that like I need to use it, right? Like if I if I had the ability, not sure how, but to do it, then like I need to help and support others that want to do it. Like I feel like that's, because let me go back to my advisors. So, it's very crystal clear in my research, it's documented, well documented, that queer women of color, like myself, experience racism, homophobia, discrimination, sexism, the list goes on, at predominantly white institutions. I'm attending a predominantly white institution. Therefore, I also have experienced this. And so it's, I feel like my next step should be to help queer women of color go through this process. Like, you you know, like it just feels like I need to give back 
because it was really hard. Yeah. You know, it was hard. Yeah. Well, I think this interview is a way to give back. People will realize that they're not alone. Yeah. And maybe some younger person will be like, oh, I, I, I would like to do that. And now I have an idea of what I'm getting myself into. Yeah. Yeah. Like doing it with kids. Woo! Like choice is hard. Yeah. When you say kids, like kid. what is the cutoff? Kid. Oh, oh, like Any you child. yourself having a kid. Raising a child. Yeah, while doing this. Yeah. Being in school, you know, working full time, raising a family, like it makes it a lot harder, you know. So, you know, if I could recommend that women do it, bef- you know, before they start a family, it wouldn't be as emotionally draining. Yeah. You know, because it's hard. Like, you know, it's only so many hours in a day. Something had to be sacrificed. Usually it's sleep. I find that um, when I was in dental school, the people with families were really good at time management. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm just bad at it. Maybe just a harsh critic. Oh, okay, sure. Well, I mean. I like that. It sounds like you started doing the research this year. You've already gotten it written. What was it, a three or four month time span? Sounds pretty good. Oh, the, the train's coming. Yeah. I feel like I'm a year behind. I know I'm a year behind. So the UNE program is only three years, and I had to take four, which let's talk about this two different ways. One, um, am I just finishing on time for me? Right? That's what I needed, the extra year. Yeah. Or is the curriculum, does the curriculum need to be designed? So after... 2022. So I was supposed to graduate in 2022. They changed the curriculum at UNE and they added more classes. So they added like three or four classes, which is almost a year, which means they made it from a three-year program, I think close to a four-year program. So I was like, maybe I did have some influence in that or maybe not. And But it was good timing for me. I stopped caring so much. Can you sit? Because my butt, my butt, my back hurts. In case I don't like edit it, it was suggested that we walk. I didn't force anybody to walk. <laughs> but my back hurts now. Excuse me. Um, I stopped caring so much, you know? Like, I was, I was thinking to myself, like, why am I putting so much pressure on this timeline? I knew they had a grace period. They allow all their graduates to take six months. But then, because of COVID, a lot of people left the university. A lot of students shifted and... You know, life was challenging. And so I had to give myself some grace on that. Um, yeah. And I also know that some a friend of mine's doctoral program is seven years. And so I was like, I tried to finish it in like half. And then I, another person I know who finished their doctorate, it took them 10 years. And so I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so then I started to give myself a little bit more grace. As you should. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Margaret. I feel like I learned a lot about dissertations, yours in particular, and doctoral programs and how varied they can be. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, What's the plug? How can people reach you? They can't. Just kidding. Um, I don't know. Google, online, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. If you like what you've heard and want to hear it again, or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or 
wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. Time for some PSAs. The Immigrant Legal Advocacy Project, known as I-LAP, is Maine's only nonprofit immigration legal services organization. ILAP has helped people from over 100 countries gain legal status. To see if Immigrant Legal Advocacy Project can help you or someone you know, get more info online at ilapmaine.org. And that's I-L-A-P-M-A-I-N-E dot org. Also, Wabanaki Reach supports the self-determination of Wabanaki people through education, truth-telling, restorative justice, and restorative practices in Wabanaki and Maine communities. For information about understanding colonization, the Truth Commission, and more, go online to mainwabanakireach.org. M-A-I-N-E W-A-B-A-N-A-K-I-R-E-A-A-C-H dot org. Creative Portland supports the creative economy through the arts by providing essential resources, by fostering partnerships, and by promoting Portland's artistic talents and cultural assets. As an arts agency, Creative Portland supports economic development efforts by strengthening and stimulating Portland's workforce, creative industries, and enterprises. For more information, it can be found at creativeportland.com.